Preface and First Reverie of Reveries of a Bachelor, or A Book of the Heart, by Eek Marvel. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lee Smalley. Preface this book is neither more nor less than it pretends to be. It is a collection of those floating reveries which have, from time to time, drifted across my brain. I never yet met with a bachelor who had not his share of just such floating visions. And the only difference between us lies in the fact that I have tossed them from me in the shape of a book. If they had been worked over with more unity of design, I dare say I might have made a respectable novel. As it is, I have chosen the honester way of setting them down as they came seething from my thought, with all their crudities and contrasts uncovered. As for the truth that is in them, the world may believe what it likes, for, having written to humour the world, it would be hard if I should curtail any of its privileges of judgment. I should think there was as much truth in them as in most reveries. The first story of the book has already had some publicity, and the criticisms upon it have amused and pleased me. One honest journalist avows that it could never have been written by a bachelor. I thank him for thinking so well of me, and heartily wish that his thought were as true as it is kind. Yet I am inclined to think that bachelors are the only safe and secure observers of all the phases of married life. The rest of the world have their hobbies, and by law, as well as by immemorial custom, are reckoned unfair witnesses in everything related to their matrimonial affairs. Perhaps I ought, however, to make an exception in favour of spinsters, who, like us, are independent spectators, and possess just that kind of indifference to the marital state, which makes them intrepid in their observations, and very desirable for authorities. As for the style of the book, I have nothing to say for it except to refer to my title. These are not sermons, nor essays, nor criticisms. They are only reveries. And if the reader should stumble upon occasional magniloquence, or be worried with a little too much of sentiment, pray let him remember that I am dreaming. But while I say this, in the hope of nicking off the wiry edge of my reader's judgment, I shall yet stand up boldly for the general tone and character of the book. If there is bad feeling in it, or insincerity, or shallow sentiment, or any foolish depth of affection betrayed, I am responsible and the critics may expose it to their heart's content. I have, moreover, a kindly feeling for these reveries, from their very private character. They consist mainly of just such whimsies and reflections as a great many brother bachelors are apt to indulge in, but which they are too cautious or too prudent to lay before the world. As I have in this matter shown a frankness and naivete which are unusual, I shall ask a corresponding frankness in my reader, and I can assure him safely that this is eminently one of those books which were never intended for publication. In the hope that this plain avowal may quicken the reader's charity, and screen me from cruel judgment, I remain, 
with sincere good wishes, Eke Marvel. New York, November, 1850. First Reverie, Smoke, Flame, and Ashes Over a Wood Fire I have got a quiet farmhouse in the country, a very humble place to be sure, tenanted by a worthy enough man of the old New England stamp, where I sometimes go for a day or two in the winter, to look over the farm accounts and to see how the stock is thriving on the winter's keep. One side of the door, as you enter from the porch, is a little parlour, scarce twelve feet by ten, with a cosy-looking fireplace, a heavy oak floor, a couple of armchairs and a brown table with carved lion's feet. Out of this room opens a little cabinet, only big enough for a broad bachelor bedstead, where I sleep upon feathers, and wake in the morning with my eye upon a saucy-coloured lithographic print of some fancy Bessie. It happens to be the only house in the world of which I am bona fide owner, and I take a vast deal of comfort in treating it just as I choose. I manage to break some article of furniture almost every time I pay it a visit, and if I cannot open the window readily of a morning to breathe the fresh air, I knock out a pane or two of glass with my boot. I lean against the walls in a very old armchair there is on the premises, and scarce ever fail to worry such a hole in the plastering as would set me down for a round charge for damages in town, or make a prim housewife fret herself into a raging fever. I laugh out loud with myself in my big armchair when I think that I am neither afraid of one nor the other. As for the fire, I keep the little hearth so hot as to warm half the cellar below, and the whole space between the jams roars for hours together with white flame. To be sure, the windows are not very tight, between broken panes and bad joints, so that the fire, large as it is, is by no means an extravagant comfort. As night approaches, I have a huge pile of oak and hickory placed beside the hearth. I put out the tallow candle on the mantel, using the family snuffers, with one leg broken, then, drawing my chair directly in front of the blazing wood, and setting one foot on each of the old iron fire-dogs, until they grow too warm, I dispose myself for an evening of such sober and thoughtful quietude, as I believe, on my soul, that very few of my fellow-men have the good fortune to enjoy. My tenant, meantime, in the other room I can hear now and then, though there is a thick stone chimney and broad entry between, multiplying contrivances with his wife to put two babies to sleep. This occupies them, I should say, usually an hour, though my only measure of time, for I never carry a watch into the country, is the blaze of my fire. By ten or thereabouts, my stock of wood is nearly exhausted. I pile upon the hot coals what remains, and sit watching how it kindles and blazes and goes out, even like our joys, and then slip by the light of the embers into my bed, where I luxuriate in such sound and healthful slumber as only such rattling window frames and country air can supply. But to return, the other evening, it happened to be on my last visit to my farmhouse, 
when I had exhausted all the ordinary rural topics of thought, had formed all sorts of conjectures as to the income of the year, had planned a new wall around one lot, and clearing up of another, now covered with patriarchal wood, and wondered if the little rickety house would not be, after all, a snug enough box to live and to die in. I fell, on a sudden, into such an unprecedented line of thought, which took such a deep hold of my sympathies, sometimes even starting tears, that I determined, the next day, to set as much of it as I could recall on paper. Something, it may have been the home-looking blaze, I am a bachelor of, say, six-and-twenty, or possibly a plaintive cry of the baby in my tenant's room, had suggested to me the thought of marriage. I piled upon the heated fire-dogs the last armful of my wood, and now, said I, bracing myself courageously between the arms of my chair, I'll not flinch. I'll pursue the thought wherever it leads, though it lead me to the... I am apt to be hasty. At least, continued I, softening, until my fire is out. The wood was green, and at first showed no disposition to blaze. It smoked furiously. Smoke, thought I, always goes before blaze, and so does doubt go before decision, and my reverie, from that very starting point, slipped into this shape. End of Preface and First Reverie